Yeehaw! How you going, folks? Today, I have another book review for you. And I have The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. Gonna take this little piece of straw out of my mouth because it's very difficult to talk with that. And welcome, welcome one and all to another book review. And as I mentioned, by Mark Twain, I have recently been enjoying Mark Twain's book. So I had this one in and I decided to read it. So let's get into it. For the introduction, this book was published in 1876, so it's got a hundred and something years on it now, and it has stood the test of time. It's a fictional account of Tom and his friends in St. Petersburg, which is a fictional city as well, but based on Hannibal, Missouri, deep in the south, where Mark Twain actually grew up. Now, this was one of the first books actually written on a typewriter. I think the typewriter was invented maybe one or two years before this book was was actually published. And so Mark Twain was one of the first people to actually write on it. I also read this book in Spanish. So if you have a look-see, it actually says, Las Aventuras de Tom Sawyer. So this is the Spanish translation of it, which I was reading. And I'm going to get into a little bit of, of how that changed my reading experience. But essentially, the book is still the same. When books get translated like that, you know, I, I've read Crime and Punishment, which was originally written in in Russian, French books, German books, whatever it is, you you still get the experience of it, even though it is a little bit different. Now, this is an American masterpiece of literature. And funnily enough, he was one of the first well-known authors not born on the East Coast of America, because he was born, obviously, in the South in Hannibal, Missouri, in Missouri. So, this book definitely has, it, it showcases what Mark Twain is about. I previously reviewed Life on the Mississippi. This is one of his, probably not the most famous. I think the the um, the Huckleberry Finn story is probably a little bit more well-known, but this is right up there in terms of what Mark Twain's style is and some of his best books. Now, some of the themes, there was two themes that really stood out for me. One of this was the childlike naivety and optimism and innocence, I guess. And it, it was just interesting reading the book and, and seeing you're seeing it through the ch- a child's eyes. Most of it is written from Tom's perspective with slight jump backs um, in and out from the, the narrator who will add an extra piece of information or a little bit of comf- uh, cultural observation or something funny to add. But for the most part, you see it as Tom sees it and... It's it's just very interesting going through it and and f- feeling that 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 childlike innocence that that seeing the world through a child's eyes and it's funny it never feels like there is any real danger even though there are moments in the book where you, you're sort of scared for Tom I guess because he's in trapped in a cave where there's almost no way out or he's hiding upstairs behind two murderers downstairs and he. But you never feel like, oh, this is going to end badly. Obviously, I knew coming into it that Mark Twain doesn't write books about children getting murdered and bad endings. So I knew it was always going to end out okay, and that probably helps. But that being said, just the way that it's written through a child's eyes with that naivety, with that innocence, it it, it just draws you in and, and it makes you go, wow, this is super cool. Now, there was a question that came from that, which is, is a childlike mind possible without neglecting the serious stuff in life? You'll hear lots of people saying, oh, that childlike mind, I want to 
you know, we, you know, the shit, the shit thing about adults, the shit thing about the world is we don't have that childlike curiosity. We don't have that joyfulness, that playfulness. And while that is true, there's probably reasons for that. And that's probably is you can't have that childlike sort of personality and the serious, I need to pay my bills. People, my family's getting sick. I need to take responsibility for what's happening to me, my environment, my friends, the world. So it, I, th- I think there is, you know, some sort of nostalgia for, for being a child, which granted, I, I totally understand. And if you can get those moments in your life where you find something, a pursuit, a hobby, where you can just enjoy it with the joy of a child without the the judgments of of what you think other people will think of it and and getting into your own head like that the capacity to to almost not reflect to have a lack of introspection go ahead do it but i would say that in general if you were trying to capture that for the whole of your life it's it's probably not what you want so it's, it always seems to be that maybe that that childlike thing is is maybe something you can develop but it needs to be something that should be turned off and on because trying to keep it on the whole time, that curiosity, behaving like a child the whole time, you're just not going to be able to live in the world. The other theme that really stood out to me was superstitions and I'm going to say simple-mindedness. Now, I'll start with the superstitions. Are they caused by ignorance, low IQ, or is it something like high-level pattern recognition? We can see in the book that... uh, Aunt um, Polly, for example, is very, very superstitious of she buys all the quack remedies. She'll cross herself every time she goes to church. And uh, the the kids as well, Tom and his friends, they have these superstitions of, you know, if you touch the, the wood three times at midnight with a dead cat in the cemetery, you turn around, you walk 12 steps and come back, then that's when the ghost will appear or you can... Uh, you'll find where the witches have hidden their their stolen treasures and things like that. So it's really funny just seeing these little moments chucked in there. But it's it's not just the silly people; it's the serious people as well. And it got me thinking: is, is this stupid? Is this straight stupidity, or is it something a little bit different? And the way I'm going to link this is: I recently went to the casino with my dad, and he was telling me how. Every now and then, like he'll see some people doing some very strange things, especially at the pokey machines, where they'll they'll get like a a, a feature, and the, so all the things will start to come down. The lights are going. There's noises. There's bright colors. There's wow, wow, wow. And he'll see the people, you know, touching the screens, trying to try, trying to um, bring forth the good luck, or rubbing the side, or scratching their nose, turning around standing up, jumping, doing some sort of movement, some sort of superstitious thing to create luck, to create a, a good outcome. And we were just discussing this and it was and it was sort of like, okay, is this stupidity or is this actually, you, you can actually have a high level pattern recognition and if you do something three or four times and good things occur from that, it, I think it's just totally natural for, for the human brain to go, okay, this is what, you know, that cause and effect, it's actually a very rational way of thinking. The problem is you're just using selected outcomes and the rational and the not irrational, but the unthinking mind, the simple minded mind, they, they blend together very, that's never like you're one or the other. You're always a little bit of mixture of most, both. But a lot of the time you're in that sort of simple minded, you're just taking in things as they happen and 
not focusing. You don't have the capacity to always be thinking analytically all the time. And, you know, I I think it's probably, it's worthy of of giving dues to that simple-minded mind, to that mind where you just take things in and you can create things, even though scientifically they're they're not going to be valid and (laughs) rubbing the side of a pokey machine is not going to give you more money. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. But there's something to be said for for the mind, the capability that the mind can create those, even though it will result in actions and superstitions and outcomes that we all look at and go, well, not all of us, but probably the majority look at and go, okay, that's maybe not, that's, that's probably silly. That's not really doing anything. So I'm actually reading another book right now, Thinking Fast and Slow by Danny Kahneman, Daniel Kahneman. And he talks about these differences between the analytical and the simple-minded. The not simple-minded, he calls them system one and system two, but the mind where it just reacts to the inputs without a conscious effort on our part and then the conscious thinking mind where you need to use strategic rationality to come and solve problems essentially. And what he, I, I guess what I'm trying to get out of this is it's, we, sh- we shouldn't be judging people for that because they're still smart. It is still an incredible thing that you can collect a hundred pieces of data and somehow find something that you think works in this data. People aren't rubbing the side of the machine because every time they rubbed it, it, it they lost all their money. No, they're doing it because one or two times, maybe it did happen and they thought, okay, maybe this is actually doing it. Plus it's fun. Maybe I'm overanalyzing this, but whatever. So, just getting onto that, it sort of got me thinking as well of I sometimes prefer those more lowbrow, but I would say real conversations to the to the highly intellectual ones, to ones where you're del- delving deep and where you really need to be in that mindset. And I guess even speaking with people who maybe they have like a lower IQ, but they're more grounded, they're more real, they they understand, they see things, and maybe they can't make those deep inner connections that some other people can but they have a truth, a reality that is very foundational and very insightful as well because you can sometimes miss the the basic things through the complexity, whereas the simple things are actually what you want out of life. And there's lots of scientists trying to do that. If you look at the Mandelbrot set, for example, if you look at complexity, chaos theory in general, it's it talks about having a very simple set of rules. Langton's Ant is another good one very simple set of rules expanding out into these beautiful complex patterns and maybe looking at the complex pattern isn't the actual smart thing to do. You should be looking at the simple, easy thing to understand. Now, uh, just in case you're, you're wondering, I don't consider myself that smart at all. I'm very good at analytical, mathematical-minded thinking, but in other terms of smarts, especially emotional smarts, you know, I, I have no idea. So uh, that that isn't a humble brag on my part it's it's purely saying i'm good at some things but i'm bad at others and i think we're all pretty much in the same boat with regards to that now my own observations of the book the twain style in spanish it translates so well i was absolutely surprised i thought yes languages can be translated everyone knows this and even though you're not getting the original you're getting some part of it but maybe you lose something in the translation maybe there's something that can't be conveyed in english that uh, can be conveyed in spanish or vice versa in this case which is you know the mark twain the typical mark twain 
funny, witty, satirical style, maybe that doesn't translate into Spanish. But I can tell you that it it was a, it did a pretty damn good job, and I didn't notice if if there was that much of a different reading experience from from reading it in English or in Spanish because I I've read Huckleberry Finn, so I haven't read Tom Sawyer this exact book, but I've read something that's very very close to it, and. Yeah, it was just it, it was absolutely preserved and shows how language doesn't alter the feel of the stories as well, unless it's a very peculiar thing. Now, I'll, I'll just give a bit of background info on this as well. So I was taking these these notes while going through it. Every single word that I didn't understand, I put in these little cheat sheet notes. And so I ended up doing a bit of counting for this. And of the, I think it was about, of all the words in the book, I think online I read it was about 64,000 in English or maybe 60,000. Translating that into Spanish, there's usually a, a generally a, a 10 to 20% increase in the amount of words. So let's just say 66, let's just say 70,000 roughly. Of all those, there was only 1,200, maybe even a little bit less words that I didn't understand. So my comprehension rate was probably around the 98% mark for for actually reading the book, which is 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 pretty good. I think in terms of, Granted, it's an easier novel. It's meant for children, but also for adults. So, I was I was reading at a level where I sh- I could basically understand everything, and yeah, it translated perfectly. So, if you're learning another language and you're worried about that sort of thing, I wouldn't be too worried. I would say it's more you need to practice more and get your 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 language up to the desired level, and then that sort of feel that that enjoyment, those deeper connections between. I guess the writing style and the evocative nature of, of what's being written will show up and it's more just you not having done the practice, putting in the work to actually learning the language. It's amazing storytelling as well and however he does it. I'm, I'm not a writer so I can't say how he's done it but he has captured iconic characters and scenes which have lasted for, yeah, we're getting close to 150 years now for this book and... I'm, I'm talking here about Huckleberry Finn. I'm talking about Tom Sawyer, Aunt Polly. These characters, these people are, are definite symbols. There's something you know if you've heard of them. You can imagine what Tom Sawyer is like. You can imagine what that Aunt Polly is like. And even scenes in particular, such as the whitewashing of the fence. Of the fence. If you, if you said, okay, there's a, there's a kid um, whitewashing a fence or painting a fence, you're probably going to think of Tom Sawyer and his adventures where he tricked his friends into painting it for him while he's eating an apple and taking all of their little toys. Like he convinced them that painting a fence is actually the funnest thing in the world. Sailing down the Mississippi on a, on a raft, um, pretending to be pirates as well. Iconic scenes that he has just captured and they're, they're cemented and you'll see them in pop culture still today. Nowadays, the Simpsons, for example, I've, I remember seeing some of these scenes in there. So very, very iconic. The deeper I learn of the man, Mark Twain as well, the more impressive he becomes. And yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely loving him as a, as a person, but not everything about him. Because he, very much like my other sort of role model, my hero, George Orwell, he has very, he has some parts of his personality, of, of his character that were, that were pretty poor. For example, for Mark Twain, he couldn't manage his money. Everything he did, he sort of just lost it and Lord knows where it went, but it went somewhere, even though he was one of the best-selling authors of his time. 
And but that being said, his character as a person, like the the ethics that he held, were radical for the time. He was an abolitionist uh, into the civil rights movement for um, both like blacks, whites, whoever China Chinese people it didn't matter. Um, he was anti imperialist and. Most of all, he was a doer. He went and did things. He's, he was a, a cub pilot on the Mississippi. He went to the gold rushes, the gold mines and tried it out. He wrote books. He was a journalist. He went to different places across the seas. I, I just love that spirit of him, very similar to George Orwell. That, that's what drove me in, draws me in. He was a doer. He went and did things. Now, in summary then, <laughs> with all of that being said, it's a su- superb book, although it took me a long time to read reading it in Spanish and going through it meticulously. So my reading experience was probably a little bit dampened by that. But even that being said, I'm giving it a solid seven and a half out of 10. Would have probably been more if I had read it properly. So that's The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Las Aventuras de Tom Sawyer in Spanish. And what's something pragmatic I'm going to take from this? I want to be a doer. But that being said, not to take myself too seriously. That is why I, I do the book reviews with the funny hats and and silly intros and things like that. I like talking about serious topics, but in a silly way as well, or doing something a little bit silly with it and not taking myself too seriously because if you do that, it sort of takes the joys out of life and that's getting onto one of the themes, that childlike naivety, optimism, the innocence. There's no reason I have to be serious all the time. Why can't I wear a silly hat and and talk about serious things? So that's it. That's my pragmatic outcome and that was the book, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. I hope you enjoyed. Karen out.